Good morning, Colonial Woods. Great to see you this morning. If you're at home, I can't see you, but I'm glad you're with us. And it's 2022, hard to imagine, but uh, I said to somebody earlier today, I said, man, can you imagine when you were in the 80s, back in the 80s, could you ever think you were see 2022? I don't think they were born yet in the 80s, so I'm pretty sure they didn't. But anyway, if you were born in the 80s, amazing that we're here in 2022. Look at somebody near you and say, it's going to be a better year. Just do that real quick. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. I just believe that. I'm just kind of one of those guys. I live with a little bit of optimism, and I'd always believe this next year is going to be better, and hopefully that'll be the case for you and your family. If you have your Bibles, I want to turn your attention to two passages, Isaiah 43. We're going to spend most of our time in Nehemiah chapter 1. Isaiah 43, Nehemiah chapter 1. I'll explain a little bit how they're tied together in Scripture, but I want to explain also how they're tied together in history even though they're separated by some 300 years. Now, I don't know about you as you uh, are looking and reading through Scripture. A lot of folks, they kind of they make that one of their focuses into the new year. But I find that sometimes when I'm reading Scripture, I'll see stories and I'll think to myself, what in the world does this have to do with me? You see individuals who are on horses and chariots, or you see individuals where God is speaking about, uh, about the creation of humanity. Well, what has that got to do with me? And sometimes you have to kind of find yourself in it. I, uh, a couple of years ago, got some new gifts for Christmas. I, br- I brought pictures today, and before we show them, I want to just kind of ready you. I, you may shock you, but I get a lot of hunting stuff for gifts. A lot of times if I'm going to get a gift. And this particular Christmas, two years ago, I got some new camel, camel, hunting camel. And uh, just to warn you, you probably will have a hard time finding me in the picture because I have camel on. But do your best to try to find me. Let's just go ahead and take a look here. For example, (laughs) now I'm going to give you a hint. I'm right next to the Christmas tree. How many can see me in there? Can you see Oh, okay. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I didn't think you'd see me. Um, okay, here's another one. You may, you may not see me. Now, I'm going to give you a hint. I'm right next to the leopard print. Uh, yes, we have leopard print curtains. By the way, it was my wife's idea, but I'm right next to the curtain. How many, oh, hey, somebody's, can it, I can almost see my hand there. There you go. Well, anyway, can you see it? Can you see where I'm at? Some of you can. Okay, I'm up there. All right. Um, let me give you the last one. You're not going to see me, but... You, Okay, now I'm going to tell you, I'm on, the, I'm on the staircase behind the, how many see me on the staircase there? All right, see, now I'm, I'm shocked. I sent this, by the way, Christmas morning, I sent this to all my hunting buddies and said, I know you probably can't see me, but here's the new duds that I got for Christmas. And, you know, if you've ever played that uh, Where's Waldo book and looked in them, sometimes you've got to look really hard to see where Waldo is at. And sometimes when we read Scripture, we need to step back, look really intensely to find out how God is speaking into our life. The Word of God is inspired. It is an inspired teaching of the Holy Spirit, but it's also living and active, which means God is able to take it and direct it into your life today, even though it's something that took place 2,000, 3,000 years ago. Now, today is a word, I believe, of God for the moment, for 2022, for some that are in here today. And it begins in Isaiah 43, verse 18. Here's what it says. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. You see, I am doing a new thing, now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams 
in the wasteland. Go to Nehemiah chapter 1. Verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me that those who have survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And then I heard these things. I sat down and I wept. And for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And he prays a prayer, which we're not going to focus on the prayer today, although it's an incredible prayer. Go down to verse 11. Oh God, let your heart or your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You see, I was the cupbearer to the king. And in the month of Nisan, on the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king, and I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but the sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed? Well, what do you want? The king asked. And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now, if it sounds familiar, a year ago I preached the same passage. Today I'm going to preach a different message. Because as soon as I was done with the passage last year, God began to stir something in my heart and it kept stirring throughout the entire year. And there are times whenever you're doing anything, you say, man, I'd love another shot at that. I'd love a different approach to that. The, the truths can be similar, but I, I want to take a different view of this whole thing. In July, I was preaching with uh, Pastor Chelsea and Adam. We were up at a camp in Mancelona, and on the last night that I preached, God laid this again on my heart. I had to scramble together to put some notes together and scramble to put some PowerPoints together as I challenged a camp to step into the new things and to listen to the voice of God. And today, as I come to you again, I, I, I've got this thing on my heart in 2022 that I just believe is God's word for the moment for so many that are here today. Forget the former things. You see, I'm doing a new thing. Now, you're saying to yourself, how in the world are these tied together? Well, the passage in Isaiah, even though in Scripture, when you open your Bible, it's going to look like it comes way after Nehemiah, the Bible, when it's put together, is not put together in chronological order. By the way, you can get a chronological Bible that puts everything in the right order. I'm thinking of buying one and reading through it this year just to kind of, for my own edification. But understand that in Nehemiah chapter 1, even though it happens chapters and chapters and verses in front of Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43 is God's word of the moment for the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah some 300 years before Nehemiah. And what he tells the people of Israel is, 
you're going to go through a time of discipline. And oh, by the way, the discipline is going to come at the hands of the Babylonian Empire hundreds of years before the Babylonian Empire was the Babylonian Empire. And he said, the Babylonians are going to be usurped and you're going to come out of that time. Now here's the deal. Don't don't be discouraged and don't dwell on the discipline and don't dwell on your failure and don't dwell on the past because you see I am doing a new thing. And 300 years later, through the the man, the cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah, God begins to do a new thing. God answers a promise that he made 300 years earlier. He answers a prayer that was uttered by Daniel 75 years earlier. And he burdens the heart of Nehemiah to do something Do something that is going to radically change the people of Israel. See, they've come out of the exile. They've already come out of captivity. They've rebuilt the altar so they could worship. They've rebuilt the temple for the presence of God. But they were still a nation that was in disarray. They'd lost their national identity. Their wall, their, their people were in rubbles. And the wall established boundaries. It established safety, but it's more than that. It established an identity. And the book of Nehemiah is not about God rebuilding a wall. It's just a wall. It's about God rebuilding an identity of a people of God to do what God has called them to step into. He says, forget the former things. I'm doing a new thing. And for some of you this year, God's been stirring in you. God's been speaking into your life. And what I want to do today, whether it's a a new relationship reality, a new spiritual walk, whether it's a new ministry, whether it's a new career, I, I just want to give you some keys to what to do when God begins to call your name. And the very first thing that I would share with you is you, you need to be obedient to the holy discontent that God is speaking into your life, stirring. Notice when you get into this passage, it says, I ask questions, chapter 1, verse 3, I asked them about those who survived the exile and about Jerusalem, and they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah is hundreds of miles away. He is hours away by travel. He is, he is separated by almost a lifetime of experience. But notice his response. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Why? Because God was birthing something in him. He was stirring something in him. He was brewing a holy discontentment with where he was. And he was brewing something new in Nehemiah to step into what God wanted him to do. See, there's two different kinds of discontentment. There's a, there's a sinful discontentment. And Scripture talks about that. And that's probably what over the years you've heard people say because Paul talks about learning what it is to be content in all circumstances, uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, he says godliness with contentment is great gain. The book of Hebrews says we need to learn what it is to live in contentment and not be dis- discontented with the Lord. And some people have like a destination disease in their life where they're just never content. It's like a brewing, smoldering discontentment. 
I'm not content with my career. I'm not content with my wife, my, my husband. I'm not content in my marriage. I'm not content in this relationship. I'll go on to the next relationship. I'm, I'm not content with my, my career or my house or my finances or my church or wherever it is. And, and I'm always looking to be happy somewhere else. And that's, a, that's, that's more than an attitude issue. That's a sinful issue. But then there's a discontentment that is... Uh, it's a God-breathed thing. It's a stirring. It's a passion. What I see happening is not what God wants to see happening. And there are some, there are some who become discontented in where your spiritual reality is because you realize God wants you to be so much deeper with Him. Some of you aren't happy with where God has you in your relationship. But it's not about leaving the relationship. It's about doing the things that are necessary to, to build the relationship. Some, some are, are on the sidelines and God is saying it's time to get in the game. Some, some God is stirring into a new reality or some that are here that God is calling into a ministry that maybe you haven't engaged in before. And I'm not just talking about young people. I'm talking about the gray hairs and the no hairs, right? Yesterday I said to somebody, Man, your hair's getting gray. He said, oh, yours is getting loose. <laughs> it's a stirring that God has placed in there. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but some of you have a passion for prayer. And by the way, your prayer probably has a focus. It's not just prayer, although some of you have a passion for prayer and you can't figure out why everybody else doesn't have the same passion for prayer. But some of you have a passion to pray for healing. You believe God is the healing God and you have been led to passionately intercede for praying for healing. And you can't figure out why everybody else doesn't have that same passion. Some have been passionately praying for people to come to Christ and you can't figure out why everybody else doesn't have that same passion. Some of you are passionate about life and you can't figure out why, why everybody else doesn't, doesn't understand the outrage of abortion and, and the sanctity of life and you've got this passion for the unborn child and some of you, because I've talked to you, have a passion for the ones who have undergone an abortion and you know how the enemy has deceived and how they live with that shame and you want to have a ministry and, and you can't figure out why everybody doesn't have that same passion in fact you've got this passion that's stirring in you and you're 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 almost frustrated why everybody else doesn't have that same passion and can I just in love challenge you with something maybe God gave you that passion because he doesn't want somebody else to do something about it he wants you to and he's saying pick up the mantle I gave you the burden for a reason. There's a passion in your life for a reason. There's a, there's a stirring discontent for a reason. Be obedient to it. I remember when I first came to Christ, I came alive in the Word of God. I devoured the Word of God. I read the Word of God. And I, for the longest time as a pastor, I just couldn't understand why everybody didn't have the same passion for the Word of God that I had. And then I realized, well, maybe that's, God's giving me that passion for a reason so I can help people understand the word of God see we we have different passions that God plants there number two you've got this stirring discontentment then you have to be willing and pre-commit to, to just yielding to the spirit's leading 
Notice the first thing he did is that he wept, then he went to prayer. And he spent days in prayer. Why? Because he was trying to figure out what is it, God, that you would want to do through me and in me. And when you are fully committed, fully yielded, I call it signing the blank check, where you don't put preconditions on God, where you have fully yielded to Him, you can trust the emotions of where God is leading you. Now, when you've, you've been resistant to Him, you've been saying no to Him, you've been fighting Him, you can't trust it. But if you want to trust God in relationships, just fully commit to Him, fully yield to Him. He's got a blank check. You're consecrated to Him. You can trust that stuff because God works and begins to put drives and desires in our heart. You can trust those. But when you've already been struggling and pushing against what you know to be God's will, you can't trust that stuff. This last week, I was uh, in a time of prayer with uh, some leaders in the area one of the pastors shared this, and I had never seen it. I've, I've read a lot about John Wesley. But he, um, he read the prayer of, of uh, covenant that John Wesley prayed every day. And I put it in your notes. And I would really challenge you, because it's in, it's in language that maybe you're not used to using, but I would really challenge you every day this week just to look at that and just simply say, could I affirm that same prayer? It is, it is a prayer that by the time you're done, there is nothing left. John Wesley prayed, I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with those whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside by you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And I will tell you, if you ponder that prayer for a while, that is a powerful prayer. There's nothing left. And when God begins to call your name, of course, be obedient to the stirring. But then also be yielded to whatever it is that He wants to do in your life. I promise you. Scripture in Isaiah says that if you're yielded and you're walking on a path and you get off the path, you'll hear a voice from behind you say, no, not that way, walk here. And then the third thing I would challenge is develop a God-honoring, God-breathed plan. And I love, I love Nehemiah's audacious plan. Look, okay, so look, go to chapter 1. And notice what he says, or chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, go down just a little bit, he said, the king looked at me and he'd never seen me sad ever in his presence before. By the way, isn't that a testimony? He'd never seen me sad in his presence before, so he knew there must be something wrong. And he said, what is it? 
what is causing the sadness of your heart. Look what it says in verse 3. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be afraid and look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, well, what is it you want? And this is what I love. Notice in verse 1, verse 1, notice what it says. In the month of Nisan. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what it says. In the month of Kislev. Kislev is November, December. Nisan is March, April. Late March, early April. Four months. Four months have passed. What in the world has this guy been doing? Well, I know he's been praying, and I got to figure, I think he's been planning. He's been putting together a plan on, okay, God is doing something in me. By the way, I'm a cupbearer to the king. I'm not a contractor. I, I'm not a guy who knows building. I, 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 are you sure, Lord? And if so, what in the world, how in the world am I going to take this project on? God's burdened me to do it. I don't have the educational background to do it. So what am I going to do to make this happen? So the king looks at him and says, so what is it you want? And then he says, I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in his sight, number one, let, me, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are, are, are buried so that I can rebuild the wall. In other words, I'm going to be gone for a long time. Can you pay me? Number two, then the king with the queen sitting next to him said, how long will your journey take? And I set a time. And I said, and uh, oh, by the way, uh, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive. And oh, by the way, may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, uh, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the uh, uh, gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city and oh by the way for my house the residence that I'm going to occupy and because the gracious hand of God was upon me the king granted my request so I went to the governors of trans Euphrates I gave them the king's uh, letters and the king also sent officers and his cavalry with me what did he plan well um, number one, I need time off of work. Can you pay me to be off of work for the time that is going to be necessary uh, as I'm still in your employment, but I'm going to be gone from doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Number two, I have no money for this project. Could you possibly pay for this project? I'm going to go to Mortimer Lumber. Would you make sure they give me everything I need to build my house, the wall, and everything else? Oh, by the way, a lot of people don't want this to take place. Could you send the military with me? so that they'll protect me. Wouldn't it have been something four months later when the Holy Spirit opened the door for the divine conversation if Nehemiah looked at the king after he responded and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he looked at him and goes, I don't know. When we began to birth a God-honoring plan, when we began to actually put a plan to the hopes that we have. Those hopes start to become real. Some of us are afraid to do that because then they become real. And we start to put down some God-honoring plans. And you know, you're saying, well, what if I make a mistake on the plans? Who cares? Are you surrendered? 
Are you being obedient? Because I've noticed that even if you make a wrong decision, when you've done so in faith, God honors that decision. And He'll lead your life. He'll direct your life. And what you'll find is my pastor said to me back when I was 19 years old, he said, hey, Phil, just remember this. It's really hard to steer a boat that's not moving. But when you begin to move and you have the rudder, you not only not, you, you know how a rudder works? It's not so much where you want to go, it's where you're pushing your way away from. God works that way. And I promise you, if you're yielded, you're trusting, God is going to get you where He wants you to be. He knows how to do it. I don't believe in, what, what's the old statement? Everybody fails, fail forward. Fail in the right direction. And God inevitably uses those failures to teach you something you needed to know anyway. Forget the former things. I know you blew it. I know you messed up. Forget it. I know you succeeded in the past. Forget it. That was then. I'm doing a new thing. I'm stirring something new. Don't rest on the past. Don't rest on all the things you've accomplished. Some of you are ready, moving into a whole new category, empty nesting, or maybe, you're, maybe you've moved your nest, you're retired. God wants to do a new thing. Some of you are young, God wants to do a new thing, and he says, forget the old things, forget the former thing. It doesn't mean they didn't happen. It doesn't mean it's not real. He just says, but I'm going to do a new thing. My son Wesley um, is... Uh, is a very gifted young man. He does have a perfectionist streak in him which sometimes can kind of keep him from moving in a direction because he doesn't want to make a wrong choice. And I remember when he was 16 or 17 years old, he was trying to make a decision about what he wanted to go to college for and what he wanted to do. And I just, I, I, you know, I've relaxed a little bit on it. I said, oh, Wes, you're so far ahead of where I was at your age spiritually. I said, don't worry about it. You got plenty of time. I, God will get you where he wants you to get you. And he was coming into his last year and had to make some decisions about college and he didn't want to make a wrong choice. And I said, Wes, um, you know, every once in a while, God gives me stuff. Does he ever do this to you where you know it just had to be from him because you never would have thought of it yourself? I had an old map that was in my motorcycle, and I pulled it out, and I spread it out on the table, and I gave him a Sharpie. And I said, Wesley, we live in Port Huron. I figured he knew that. And he also knew that his sister and brother lived in Goshen, Indiana. I said, Wesley, take the Sharpie and get me there. You're going to go visit him. How are you going to get there? So he studied it for a little while and he took the Sharpie and he went over on 69 and then he took 69 went south at Lansing when it turns and he went all the way down to the toll road, uh, I-80, got on I-80, went over to whatever exit gets off at Goshen, Indiana, went down, got to Goshen and he looked up at me and he said, Dad, is that right? I said, yeah, yeah, that's good. Actually, there's actually a, a, technically a shorter way to get there. I don't like to drive it, but there is a shorter way to get there. If you take 94 down through Detroit, I hate going through Detroit. You go through 94, 94 will take you west, and it'll actually go all the way over to Kalamazoo. You don't even have to take the toll road. And you can go over to 113 or 131. I think that's what it is. It turns into 13 in Indiana, goes into Middlebury, and take that little back road. It actually gets you right to Calvin's house. And Wesley, the first thing he did is he looked at me and goes, oh, like he blew it. I said, unless you want to go ahead and take the toll road, you can go all the way down, take 94 over to 69, 69 down to 80, 80 over to the exit, and that'll get you there too. 
One of the ways I like to go down there, I don't enjoy the ride down to Ann Arbor, but I enjoy on my motorcycle popping down onto, down onto uh, 12. And I take 12 all the way over from south of Ann Arbor over to uh, 131, which turns into 13, which takes me into Middlebury, which takes me down to Goshen. It's a really nice drive, takes me through Sturgis. You know, I don't think it's the Sturgis everybody wants to go to on their motorcycle, but it's the one I get to. And so anyway, that's where I go. Unless you want to take 69 over to, I think it's 27 or 127, and it pops down to a corner, and that actually goes all the way down. We'll cut into Highway 12, take you over to, take you over to uh, through Sturgis, over to 131 south into 13 into Middlebury, and take you into Goshen. <coughs> Unless you want to go through Brown City. Because you can go up through Brown City, up through Saginaw, cut over onto 127. 127 takes you all the way down. I, unless you want to get over to Kalamazoo, and on Kalamazoo, there's a back dirt road. And you can take that dirt road down to Highway 12, and Highway 12 will get you over to 131, which gets you down to 13, takes you to Middlebury, gets you over to Goshen. Unless you want to take M25 are you starting to get the point? And you want to go up all the way along the coastline through Petoskey. It's a really nice drive. Take you two days. It'll get you back over to 131. 131 will take you down unless you want to drive the whole coastline. Then you can take a different road over from St. Joseph. And I said, Wesley, always good to know where you're headed. But God is the master of the back roads. Some of you need to hear what I'm going to say right here. God wants you to be where God wants you to be more than you want to be where God wants you to be. And if you are yielded and you are trusting Him, he knows how to get you off of those detours that either were detours of experience because of your poor choices or the poor choices of someone else. He knows how to get you where He wants you to be. Trust Him. And some of you coming into this year feel like... Uh, I'm either paying consequences or I am where I am because of what I decided or I am where I am because of what somebody else decided or it's too late for me or I've been disqualified because of my past failures. Can I just tell you, if God can only use perfect people, 98% of everybody in this room, including myself, are completely disqualified. And you know what? It's probably 100%, but the other 2% don't know it yet, so I didn't want to say that. And we have so much to do in the kingdom of God, we can't afford to have 98% not doing it. Forget the former things. I'm doing a new thing. Dad's stepping into the spiritual leadership God wants you to have in your family. Forget the former things. Okay, you blew it. See, I'm doing a new thing. Kids making mistakes. Okay, you did it. Forget the former things. I'm doing a new thing. 
By the way, four and five, I told you there are only gonna be four, but I added a fifth one after the notes were done, so I'm gonna give them to you anyway. Number four, have enough courage to ask. Have enough courage to ask God what you want him to do. You ever been afraid to even ask? He says, I was very much afraid, but then I asked the king. And number five, I I got some bad news. You're going to have to let go of your security. But here's the thing. Our security is so perilous. He he was the cupbearer of the king. I don't know if you know much about the cupbearer. He had job security for his entire life. (laughs) The problem was his life didn't always last very long because his job wasn't just to be a loyal, trusted person of integrity that would bring the drink to the king. He'd taste it once in a while to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And some of us are holding on to a poisonous cup. We're holding on to something because we know it, but it's perilous and we think it's security. And we tend to be so afraid of letting go of that kind of security. I'll stay in an abusive situation. I'll stay in, a, I'll stay in something where I'm not really satisfied in the calling that God has given. You know what? I would rather sit on the sidelines than begin to step out and get involved in ministry. And again, remember, it better be a holy discontent and it better be yielded to the Lord. Don't start usurping your own things in there. Make sure this is of the Holy Spirit. Make sure it aligns with the Word of God. But when, I, when God begins to do that, He says, man, you've got to be willing to risk the perilous in order to embrace the promise. For some of you, God's doing a new thing. Forget the former things. I'm doing a new thing. And this is the year I want you to step into it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. And I thank you that Holy Spirit, this morning is a divine appointment to someone that is here or someone who is listening. To be obedient, to be yielded, and to give that dream to you and let you develop the passion and the calling that you have for their life. Forget the old things. Forget the past. I'm doing a new thing. What's the new thing? What's the new reality? What's the, what's the new spiritual depth? What is the new calling, the new ministry, the new, the new whatever it is that God is birthing within you today? As we step out in faith and we plan and promise, God has a way of bringing us to where he wants us to be for his honor and his glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.